Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. It is football preview time as the Kentucky Wildcats now rank number seven in the AP College Football Poll on Saturday. Travel down to Oxford, Mississippi to take on the Ole Miss Rebels, who are number 14 in the AP College Football Poll. It's a noon kickoff at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. That's noon Eastern time. ESPN has the coverage. And to help preview the game, I talked with Parrish Alford of the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal about the Rebels, who are off to a 4-0 start, although this will be their first SEC game for Lane Kiffin's team. And to talk about Kentucky, the Cats are also off to a 4-0 start. They're 1-0 in the SEC. I talked with my friend and colleague John Hale, who covers UK football for the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Before I get to the interviews, a little business to take care of. For you, just some reminders remind you that you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. You can send me an email, jclay at heraldleader.com. We appreciate everybody who supports our work at the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Go to Kentucky.com, hit on the subscription tab, and check out all the offers to subscriptions to Kentucky.com. And I appreciate everybody who supports the podcast. Leave us, leave us a rating and review. That really helps on, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Okay, let's get right to it. First, you'll hear from Parrish Alford of the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal about the Ole Miss Rebels. And then after that, you'll hear from John Hale of Kentucky.com about the Wildcats. My guest now is Parrish Alford, columnist for the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. How's it How's it going, Parrish? John, it's going fine, man. Uh, getting a little bit cooler and uh, some nice weather. Going to be some nice weather for the game Saturday. Yeah, okay. Well, that's a good question. We'll start right there. What kind of – for Kentucky fans coming down to Oxford on Saturday. Kentucky hasn't played at Ole Miss at, for, I think, 2010 was the last time they were at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. What kind of weather should they expect over the weekend? I think it's going to be mostly sunny. Uh, looks like the temperature game will probably be played in the 70s. I think really? the high is, is going to be 80 or 81 uh, at 11 a.m. Central start. So it'll be a little bit uh, a little bit cooler than that high. I think it's going to be a, a, a nice day, nice weather, lots of sunshine. And uh, depending on uh, where you are in the stadium, uh, it might be more sunshine than you really want. But it uh, should <laughs> okay. be a should be a good day. <laughs> That's great. Great to hear. Okay, Parrish, tell us about these Rebels. Off to a 4-0 start, ranked 14th in the country, Kentucky number 7. Uh, how, what have, what's Ole Miss look like to this point? John, they, they look good. Uh, there have been times, most recently, the third and fourth quarters, 
against Tulsa, where they they really haven't uh, executed that well, and it it kind of it was a point of concern that Lane Kiffin addressed in his press conference right off the bat because he thought they had moved past this in the in the opening game against Troy. They came out and ran out to like a, a twenty-eight to nothing lead and, and really took control and, and ended up winning just twenty-eight to ten. And it's not that they're trying to run up scores, but they're trying to execute and wanting to execute for four quarters. Same thing against Tulsa, which is a you know a very good. Uh, group of five team and and a very uh, prolific uh, passing offense and, and Ole Miss uh, kind of kept them out of the end zone mostly, uh, but didn't uh, didn't really didn't have a very good defensive game. But they were cruising. Okay, they they had they were behind I believe fourteen to seven. It was like the first time they trailed this season, and then all of a sudden. You know, they were up 35 to 14 at, uh, at halftime and were in complete control. And the expectation was that they would really uh, win easily in the second half, but they did not. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, they, they couldn't, uh, couldn't finish a drive. They did okay, uh, moved the ball a little bit, gained some first downs, but couldn't get in the end zone in the second half. Now, to their credit, they started keeping Tulsa out of the end zone, forced some field goals and, and forced uh, uh, like three punts there in the fourth quarter and, and held on and won 35 to 27. But it, it wasn't uh, a thing of beauty, so to speak. And I'm sure there was some looking ahead, maybe for both of these teams on Saturday, looking ahead a little bit uh, to this game. Yeah, I think both both games, I think, could have been described as trap games, considering what they had coming up. Uh, looking at Ole Miss, I know under Lane, they've been, they were kind of pass-heavy their first couple of years. This year, they look like a really good running team. They've run the ball for a lot of years. I think they're fourth in the country in rushing yardage. Why the change, and why do you think they've been so successful at it? Yeah, I think that they were a good running team, uh, his first two seasons as well, but uh, Matt Corral was a you know a playmaker quarterback. Really kind of uh, emerged and really kind of surprised people. We didn't know what Matt Corral was going to be in 2020, uh, and he came out and played well in that season opener against Florida, and and then uh, again at Kentucky the next week. And he just he continued to grow. Um, they they really have been a good running team right now with three different backs. I mean they they lost their backs uh, all underclassmen who transferred out to uh, Henry Parrish, Garyon Ely, and, and uh, Snoop Connor, gone, okay? But they, Hussein restocked a lot of positions through the transfer portal this season, and he got Zach Evans to come over from TCU, Ulysses Bentley from SMU, and, and there's a freshman now that did not come from the portal. Quinshawn Judkins, I believe maybe a three-star recruit uh, out of Alabama, who really has run hard and, and as Lane has said, has run angry at times. And, and he's really gotten off to a fast start, had 140 yards against Tulsa and is uh, this week's uh, co-freshman uh, of the week uh, in the SEC. Uh, they were missing two of those backs and they hope to have them back this week uh, for Kentucky, but they've, they've managed to have a lot of depth uh, in that running backs room uh, with, with three new guys, a little more, uh, seasoning and continuity on the offensive line they've blocked the run well and that's kind of that's been their mo while they have worked to find a quarterback and, and only 
only after the Tulsa game did Lane come out and say, okay, it's Jackson Dart, uh, the USC transfer. He's our guy. So that's where they are offensively. Running is what they're going to try to do. Dart gives them some mobility in the passing game, gives them closer to the things that Corral was doing. Okay, what about defensively? What have the Rebels looked like so far on that side of the ball? Well, they've been able to hold down an opponent's run game. They, they've done well there mostly. I, I think Rodriguez will be a big test, probably be the best back they have faced so far. But uh, they've been good on that side of the ball. Now, Tulsa was a different kind of game for them. Running was not something that uh, that they ordinarily do, but they, they were able to – uh, at first, moved the ball with Davis Brand, their starter. He got hurt, and when they brought in the backup, it was a big kid, a, a more mobile quarterback, and Ole Miss couldn't get him to the ground. They were not pleased with their defensive performance on Saturday. They got around uh, this kid and, and pressured him a lot, but you know he he got away, and, and he uh, was was big in the run game, and and as he opened things up that way, and They've been going to run with their backs as well. And it took, like I said, it took the Rebels a while to really kind of get to where they could uh, slow them down and stop some drives there in the fourth quarter. But they were missing a couple of uh, key players uh, in Kari Coleman, a uh, transfer linebacker from TCU, who's been a playmaker for them. He's been a guy who's been able to get some things done on the other side of the line. And they were missing a uh, a defensive line reserve and J.J. Pegues, and uh, they hope to have both of those guys back this week. But you know, typically they've been pretty good uh, against the run, and you know we'll see if that uh, carries over. Okay, Parrish, the last time these two teams met, the first time Mark Stoops and Lane Kiffin went up against each other, it was a 42-41 shootout uh, <laughs> in overtime in Lexington back in 2020, the pandemic year. Are you expecting that kind of game Saturday? And, and what are the keys for Ole Miss on Saturday to, in their SC, to win their SEC opener? You know, I think both of these defenses, I think Kentucky's pretty good defensively. Ole Miss is a lot better defensively than they were in 2020. As I recall, John, I think uh, Kentucky went up maybe two touchdowns in the third quarter. I think so, yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, something like that early in the third quarter. And, you know, all of us sitting in the press box who know everything all the time, we just thought, well, this game's over because, uh, you know, there's no way that Ole Miss is going to stop this offense enough to um, to come back. But they, they became a defense in 2020 where they could play well for stretches of time. And they did in the middle of the third quarter and the fourth quarter in that game in Lexington in 2020. They got some stops. They got some key plays. One of them a big sack from uh, Muhammad Sanogo, who's now down the road at the other Kentucky school, the, the red and black. Right. Uh, so th- I don't think it's going to be that kind of game because I think the defenses are better. I think both of these defenses are going to pressure you know, these right. offenses, and uh, I think it'll be, I don't know, maybe, a, you know, a 28-24, a uh, something like that. Right, right. Well, so what does Ole Miss have to do Saturday? Ole Miss, uh, they need to get good play from Jackson Darth, their quarterback. He's the starter now. Everybody, you know, can finally kind of rally around him and, and know where they are headed on this offense. When I say he does some corral things, he doesn't throw the deep ball as well as Corral does right now. I think Ole Miss has some weapons at receiver, but 
because of how well they have run the ball. They ran the ball 77% of the time. Wow. They called run play 77% against Georgia Tech. It was working. Tech wasn't stopping it. It was 42 to nothing. And then it became a point where uh, Lane said, he, he, which I thought was interesting. You don't hear coaches say this very often, but you know he was aware of the pressure that Jeff Collins was under on the other sideline. He didn't really didn't want to pass in the uh, second half, even though he felt like he needed to work on his passing game. So they ran the ball 77% of the time against Georgia Tech. I don't believe they'll uh, – that's not something they want to do again. But right now, Dart is not throwing the deep ball as well as Corral did. But he has been very effective in the run game as Corral was. And, and I think if, if running is going to be your M.O., you need to have a quarterback who can do that. So they need a good game from Dart, no turnovers. He didn't have turnovers against uh, Tulsa. Uh, he had one bad interception against Georgia Tech, but he's been improving uh, in that area. And I think they need to get uh, the receivers involved. I don't think they can go into this game or any other conference game and think they can be one-dimensional and have success. So I want to see if Ole Miss can really uh, get this tight end transfer from USC more involved. Michael Trigg, very athletic, uh, kind of makes you remember some Ole Miss tight ends in the past, like an Evan Ingram. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just haven't thrown that much. You know, you might see him with one catch or two. I, I think, uh, you know, he's a guy that could figure in, should figure in more into the game plan against Kentucky. Well, it should be a really it's, – it's a good matchup Saturday, uh, number seven Kentucky against number 14 Ole Miss. Uh, really look forward to coming down to Oxford and seeing the game there. Parrish, remind the listeners where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find all your coverage online before and during and after the game. i tell you what. I'm on Twitter at Parrish Alford. You can find links there that will take you to djournal.com. Lots of good coverage of Ole Miss there. And look, we're on Facebook as well. Ole Miss discussion with Parrish Alford and Michael Katz. Lots of good things in that Facebook group if Kentucky fans would like to check it out. I encourage them to do so. Parrish, thanks a lot, as always, for being on the podcast. Thanks for the weather report. I'm looking forward to seeing you on Saturday. Thanks, John. Have a good day. You too. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, I want to welcome in my guest on the podcast, John Hale. My friend, colleague, and UK football beat writer extraordinaire for Kentucky.com and the Hero Leader. How's it going, John? It's good. How are you? Are you looking forward to the trip to Ole Miss? Have you been to Vaught-Hemingway Stadium before? 
I have been there for basketball, but I've never been there for football. So I am excited. I think this one in Arkansas are the only two SEC football stadiums I have not been to yet. So really? okay. get, to, get to check this one off the list. So uh, hopefully it lives up to the hype. <laughs> yeah, Kentucky, hasn't. they haven't been to Vaught-Hemingway uh, since 2010. I actually covered with, with my colleague Jerry Tipton back when Jerry was covering uh, UK football as well as basketball, uh, Kentucky Ole Miss game in Jackson. Uh, with Jerry Claiborne was the Kentucky coach. That did they they I don't remember the score, but I remember they lost. And if I remember correctly, I'd have to go back and look up the score. They had a lot of miscues in that game. I think they failed failed to field a kickoff and ended up fumbling it, and uh, a, a bunch of things went wrong. Uh, and I, I'd have to go back and look up the year. But anyway, and Jackson. But yeah, Kentucky hadn't been to uh, Vaught Hemingway since 2010. Uh, they lost that game as well. Uh, this time around, you got two ranked teams, Kentucky number seven, Ole Miss number 14. I guess the big news for Kentucky is that we, is, uh, we get to see Chris Rodriguez on the field. He's back after his four game suspension. What kind of impact do you think he'll make? I mean, I think it's going to be important. Um, obviously they have issues in the run game that go beyond the running backs right now, but I think you wrote about this in one of your columns this week too. I mean, the difference is for as productive as Cavassier Smoke has been, and I think he's you know done an admirable job filling in there, he's just not Chris Rodriguez. And so some of these plays where he's going down on first contact, Rodriguez is going to break a couple tackles and turn that into a bigger gain. I just think about the, the game-winning touchdown in the Citrus Bowl last year. That was a broken play. Will Levis made the wrong read. He was supposed to keep it, but he handed it off to Chris Rodriguez, and there was a defender immediately on him in the backfield and Chris just made that guy miss and then ran over another guy on the goal line and scored the game winning touchdown. Those kind of plays are something we just haven't seen from Kentucky's rushing attack so far this year. So I do think that will be a big difference. And then it will be interesting when he breaks off a couple of those do defenses, you know, play them differently. Does it open up some other things in the passing game? Cause they have to respect that a little more. Um, I think it will, I don't think he's going to go out and average, you know, 150 rushing yards a game or whatever, but I think he's going to be a, a pretty significant upgrade over what we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, he did He did finish last year with five straight 100-yard games. But, yeah, sitting out the first four games, how much rust do you think he'll have? I think it's at least a concern, and especially this week, you've got to worry about him trying to do too much. I mean, obviously, we know that he's had some really high-profile miscues. I mean, for all the talk about how important it is getting back, you know, last year, all the talk was about him fumbling inside the five-yard line all the time. So right. I think he's got to be – particularly cognizant of that kind of thing this week and not trying to make a statement or make up for missed time. Obviously, I mean, with the circumstances, the suspension, he's probably going to hear a lot from opposing fans in these venues about, you know, the hospital stuff and the DUI and everything. How does he handle that? I do think there's some value in having fresh legs, especially at this part of the schedule where they're facing SEC teams, but there will be some rust, I think, too early. But what about you mentioned? I mean, just his presence alone is not going to fix the running game, the offensive line. How did you think they played last week against Northern Illinois? And what do you, what do you expect from them moving forward? I think they're getting better, and I do think this point that you know the coaches and the players keep making to us about continuity is important. I mean, they had they started three different starting fives in the first three games. Three of their projected starters were injured during camp, so they didn't get a lot of time together. They've now played two full games with the five guys they want out there, and so that helps, and I think it's getting better. In terms of their Illinois, Northern Illinois play, it was weird because you know, Will Levis got sacked five times. The running 
running rushing game wasn't super productive and so you kind of on paper thought they didn't play very well but as we've heard afterwards uh, rich king gorilla said i think two of the sacks were on will and one of them was on a running back and so only really two of them were on the offensive line and northern illinois was just blitzing everywhere they were just blitzing basically every play because that's how they thought they had a chance to win and for the most part the line held up against that pressure so i think there was a some positive strides there for sure and then getting Chris Rodriguez back and, you know, it's not going to solve the blocking part of it, but he can make up for some of those mistakes. And you, you wonder if that helps them build some confidence that they need right now. But we'll get to the defense in a second. But sticking with the offense, uh, you wrote a story, which is up on Kentucky.com now, about Rich Gangarello, the offensive coordinator. Just talk a little bit about that story. Uh, people need to check it out. Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting when Liam Cohen left to go back to the Rams. You know, the question that kind of looked like it was facing Mark Stoops was, do you double down on this, go get an NFL guy and sell this NFL system? Or do you maybe go a little more conservative and hire somebody who you don't think is going to leave after a year or two? And, and obviously, he went and he doubled down. He brought in Skangarella from the 49ers. And you had to worry that it was going to be a situation where if they're really good this year and Will Levis was a first-round pick, some NFL team would just come take him in a year and you'd have this situation all over again. But everything we've heard from Rich since he got here is he seems to really be embracing you know, being a college coach in a way that I don't know that Liam Cohen ever did. I mean, he talked about having chills in the catwalk the first week, and he said the the environment in the, in the locker room after the Florida win was maybe the best moment he's had in coaching in a really long time. And he's, you know, as happy here as he's ever been in his coaching career. So, I mean, I don't think that guarantees that he's going to stick around, but I talked to a lot of people for the story, his agent who's also runs this quarterback camp that uh, is probably going to be key in them getting their next transfer quarterback. I talked to you know, the guy who hired him first, uh, his first job at UC Davis 20 years ago and obviously Will Levis and Mark Stoops, and it seems like he he's maybe more of a college coach at heart. He'll have opportunities if, if the offense keeps trending the way it is, but I, I think that the chances are higher he's going to stick around longer than, than maybe we thought initially. I know we're only through four games a third of the season, but what about Levis's play with Rich Gangarello, who's not only the offensive coordinator but his quarterback's coach as well? Can you see prog- can you see uh, differences in his play this year over last year? I know some of that is going to be just a natural progression. He's a year older. He's been in. The, he's was a starter all last season. This is his second year starter. But he do have. But he does have a new quarterback's coach. Do you? What do you see in his game this year that maybe we didn't see last year? Yeah, I mean, they keep talking about his footwork, and I don't know that I'm enough of a quarterback expert to see the, the differences <laughs> there. But apparently, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not the quarterback whisperer, as one person called uh, Skangarell to me in this in this story. So I, I guess that there's a difference there, but I have been impressed just with how much pressure he's taken. I mean, it's 16 yeah. sacks now in four games, and some of that is on Will. He needs to get the ball out quicker, but he, he doesn't seem phased by it. He stands in there and I do think having three dynamic receivers as opposed to just one makes a difference. Um, I mean, some of these throws he's made, like the the Dane Key touchdown at Florida, were just really impressive. And even the the play against Northern Illinois that would have been a touchdown to Key if he had just held on to it in the end zone. That was a great throw. And so to see him make some of those plays has been impressive, the way he's held up against the pressure. Um it's interesting just to watch the evolution of him into a pure pocket passer. They clearly do not want to run him a lot. I mean, they're gonna he's gonna scramble occasionally and try and make plays that way, but I just don't think they're gonna have the design quarterback run as part of this offense very often. 
mostly because they don't have a backup that they trust if he gets hurt. But he, he just seems to be developing into that kind of prototypical NFL quarterback, and it's easy to see why guys like Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper this week have them as the number two or number three quarterback in the class. I mean, it, it seems more likely than not now that he's going to be a top-ten pick next year, which I don't think anybody expected when he got to Kentucky a year and a half ago. <laughs> no. I remember talking to <clears throat> Will, you know, at Media Day last year, when we had, you know, never really seen him play. Yeah. I didn't know at the time. Yeah, I was talking to a guy who could be the overall number one pick <laughs> in next year's in next year's draft. You know, uh, to me, yeah, the most impressive thing with Will is the way he has hung in there against the pass rush. And I thought it was interesting after the Northern Illinois Illinois game. I talked. I asked uh, Scangarello about that, and he said, "I will never recruit, nor will I play a quarterback who doesn't stand in there." <laughs> against the rush and he said that's exactly what he's looking for okay let's switch over to the defense uh first of all two there's been a prominent storyline all week you wrote about it after the northern illinois game kentucky has two starters on their defense who played at ole miss jock west jones who transferred last year and started for kentucky last year he's the leading tackler through four games this year and kedron smith a defensive back playing corner they were not sure when they first got here whether we play corner or safety, uh, but both those guys, he transferred from Ole Miss. This is his first year at UK. Both those guys, does that give Kentucky an advantage, and what kind of what kind of effect do you think that's going to have, if any, on the game Saturday? I'm not sure it's a huge advantage. I mean, obviously, they are familiar with the personnel, but I mean, Ole Miss has a bunch of transfers that they added this year, so most of those guys weren't there even when Kedron was on the team last year, so that's somewhat different. Obviously, think, they know the offense. Yeah, yeah not, to inter- not to interrupt, but I think Ole Miss, uh, one of the games I watched the Georgia Tech and the North, in the uh, Tulsa game, they said they have 27 transfers on the roster. That, that's a lot of transfers. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, Jacqueline Jones might not even know anybody who's still on the team anymore at this right. point it was funny talking to both of them this week like ne- they said neither of them knows where the visiting locker room is at <laughs> Hemingway Stadium or like how to get there and so that part will be interesting I mean I'm sure it's been nice to have them there for pointers both Rich Gingarello and Will Levis said they've they've talked to those guys this week and picked their brains a little bit and um, even on you know defense I'm sure they can tell Brad White you know some tendencies for the guys who were there when they were around but I think more than anything, you've got to worry about them trying to do too much. In the same way we talked about Chris Rodriguez and his return, when you go home, John Calipari talks all the time about he's never had a player who played well in a homecoming game or whatever. So there's going to be some of that this week, and they've got to you know, stay within the scheme of the defense, which is what Brad White talks about all the time. You know, One guy goes freelance out there, and it messes up a whole lot, especially against a team that plays with the tempo and – uh, the style that Ole Miss does. So I'm, I'm interested to see how they hold up in those moments. I hope they both have big games. It seems like there's some added motivation there. To their credit, neither of them have you know said anything negative about Ole Miss, really since they transferred, but especially the last week and a half when we've been asking them these questions. But it does feel like maybe there's a little extra there where both of them kind of feel like, the for whatever reason, Ole Miss did not value their talents, and that's why they left. I mean, Kedron Smith specifically said he wanted to go somewhere that thought he could play cornerback, and Ole Miss had moved him around a little bit, and Jacquez Jones was, you know, played a ton there, but he wanted to go somewhere where he could, you know, develop and take his game to the next level. So um, if they have big a big moment on Saturday that helps Kentucky win, I'm interested to see what they say after the game versus before. Yeah, yeah, that will be interesting. Uh, the coaches didn't seem to be too happy with the way the defense played 
against Northern Illinois. Brad White referred to him as lazy. Uh, Mark Stoops said basically said they were undisciplined against Northern Illinois. Uh, how much uh, Northern but Northern Illinois their offense is not bad. I know they're a MAC team, but they got a pretty good offense. How much of that is that just after the shutout of Youngstown? It's like we don't want them to get the big heads. Or uh, just, you know, we talked about this before. They kind of a trap game last week. Uh, maybe got caught looking ahead a little bit to Ole Miss. How much of that is uh, plays into it, you think? I'm, I'm sure it's a little bit of both. That Northern Illinois game was just so weird the way it played out because, you know, obviously they didn't start very well because Northern Illinois had the really long drive to open the game and to score a touchdown. Then Kentucky had a 16-play, eight-minute drive. And so there were only two possessions in the first quarter. And then if they don't – if you know, Kavassia Smoke doesn't fumble right before halftime. If you put points on the board there, the game's basically over already. Instead, they get a short field, they score, it's close. But then even then, you know, Kentucky is in control for most of the half, second half. And I, I do feel like the one time you can really for sure say they, they let up and maybe started looking ahead was that fourth quarter when they let them back into it. And it felt like the game was already over. So I'm sure that was part of it. But if you know two plays go the other way, we're having a completely different conversation about that game. It's interesting because all of the the comments from Stoops and White since the game have basically suggested that the defense wasn't focused and didn't play their best after hearing so much praise for the first three weeks. And then I asked Brad yesterday if that that performance really pounded home that message, and he was kind of like, "I don't think any of them got the big head. I just think we." didn't execute well or whatever. So we'll see. I mean, obviously they need to play better than that against SEC teams. I think it in the long run might be good for them. Now they have that, that teaching lesson to make uh, after they played so well the first three weeks, but this is a completely different test, a completely different style of offense with the tempo Ole Miss is going to play. So we know Kentucky did not hold up well against that defensively when they faced Tennessee in their tempo a year ago. So hopefully for their sake, they've learned some lessons that they can apply this week. And the other thing about Ole Miss is, uh, you know, we think of Lane Kiffin throwing the ball all around, having more of a you know pro style type offense, but uh, that does play that high tempo uh, game as you mentioned. But they're really running the ball really effectively. They're number four in the country in rushing yardage per game. What kind of challenge does that present for Kentucky, and how do you think they're going to hold up against that? It is. It's a big challenge. I mean, they're four, and like you said, in, in the country in rushing yards per game, and they've only, I think, allowed two sacks all year or whatever. And part of that's just because they haven't thrown it very much. I think they are 104th in passing attempts. But the tempo factors into that as well. It was interesting to hear Mark Stoops Monday talk about, you know, we know how much they run it, but they just really haven't had to throw it yet. That doesn't mean they can't throw it or won't throw it against us. But because they've had so much success running the ball, that sets up a lot of play action things that, that they seem to think are still going to be part of the game plan on Saturday that these, Kentucky's defense has to be particularly you know, wary of. So I'm interested to see if they throw it more this weekend because they they really haven't played anybody who's forced them to yet or if this is just who they are. Um, I don't think we know for sure with Ole Miss's style, but uh, they're in a, a nice spot. Like we heard Rich Gingarillo talk the first week about holding so much back for Florida and not showing it against Miami, Ohio. I think the Kentucky coaches suspect there's some of that going on with Ole Miss so far this year, too. Yeah, sounds like it. Uh, okay, John, if you had to nail it down to one or two keys for Kentucky on Saturday, what would those be? I mean, I think turnovers are going to be huge. Um, I, I, the, the closer we get to the game, the more confident I feel about Kentucky's chances to win. Just because, you know, Ole Miss has looked vulnerable against Tulsa last week in the same way that Kentucky had 
did against Northern Illinois, but um, I think the Kentucky's just more battle tested. I think going to Florida already and winning in that environment helps what they're going to face this weekend. But this can't be a game where Will Levis goes out and throws two interceptions and lose a couple of turnovers. I know that they've managed to overcome their turnover margin for the last year and then in a month. But this seems like a game where you've got to win that to to have a chance to win. And then the other part is, you know, they need their stars to play like stars, which means that Chris Rodriguez has to play a big part and he can't do too much and be rusty and try and, uh, you know, make up for lost time. They just need him to be who he is. So if if he has a big game Saturday and they control the turnover margin, I I think that Kentucky's going to win. Yeah, I mean, I I like their chances, too. I think it'll be a close game. I like their chance. It's hard to know how good Ole Miss is because of who they yeah. played. I mean, they've, you know, they did play a Power 5 opponent in Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech's terrible. They just fired their coach. Yeah. They played Central Arkansas and Troy. No disrespect to John Summerall, who's doing a, real, a good job, really good job so far with Troy. Uh, but, you know, and Tulsa's a decent team. But as you mentioned, they looked a little vulnerable, especially defensively against Tulsa. So it's hard to know how good, how, you know, how really, uh, what this Ole Miss team is really all about. But I guess we'll find out on Saturday. John will have his predictions, uh, which we'll post uh, before the game on Saturday. Anything else uh, you want to alert the listeners to uh, that they should be looking for, John? No, if we, we talked earlier about how rare it's been for Kentucky to play at Vought Hemingway State. They've actually only played there 10 times in program history because of the West thing. And like you mentioned, for a lot of their history, Ole Miss played most of their home games in Jackson or Memphis. So um, it's pretty rare. They only have two wins there. But I did write a story earlier in the week. If you scroll down the page on Kentucky.com about the 1949 game where Kentucky won, I think, 47 to nothing. It's their second largest win in an SEC game ever. So it's homecoming again this weekend. It was homecoming that day. Kentucky has some history in spoiling homecoming on uh, on Ole Miss. So uh, that was a fun story. If, if you can find that on the website and go back and read it. Yeah, be sure and check that out. And remind the listeners, John, how they can find you on Twitter. It's John Hale, J-O-N-H-A-L-E underscore H-L. And John and I will both be down in Oxford for the game on Saturday, so we'll have plenty of coverage during the game and after the game. So look for that as well uh, on Kentucky.com. John, as always, thanks for being on the podcast, and I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Thanks for having me. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clark Podcast. My thanks to Parrish Offord of the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal and John Hale of Kentucky.com. Should be an excellent game on Saturday. Really looking forward to it down in Oxford at Vaught Hemingway Stadium. We have, we've had plenty of coverage throughout the week leading up to the game. We'll have coverage during the game and after the game. Look for my three takeaways. Look for Mark Story's five things to know. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark C. Story. Look for all of John's coverage during and after the game as well. He'll have plenty of coverage. Uh, A reminder, follow him on Twitter at John Hale, J-O-N-H-A-L-E underscore H-L. Thanks again to the guests. Thanks again to everybody for listening. Remember, we'll have a podcast that will drop either Sunday night or Monday morning reviewing the Ole Miss game and looking ahead to the rest of the Kentucky schedule with Mark's story. So be on the lookout for that as well. Thanks again to the guests. Thanks again to everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time on the John Clay Podcast.